1969, a Christmas scandal broke out. An eight-year-old boy discovered that his parents were hiding Christmas presents deep in the back of their closet with a cover over it. And so one day, when they left the home, this eight-year-old boy decided that he would venture into this forbidden space with the same curiosity the young children entered into C.S. Lewis's wardrobe that led to the city of Narnia. And as he snooped through the dozens of presents, to his surprise, he came upon the latest and the greatest, a remote control car. Now, this was not a wireless remote control, kids. No, in 1969, the control box had a wire coming out of it, and that wire was attached to the car. And you could control the car, but if you went more than five feet, you had to run along with it. Not as exciting to you, but that's the way it was in 1969. And it was the latest, and it was the greatest, and it overcame this eight-year-old boy with fascination. And he couldn't help himself. He took the car out of its packaging, he found a couple of batteries, and for the better part of an hour, in the secrecy and privacy of his parents' bedroom, he played with that car. And after he was done, he put it carefully back into its packaging, put it back into its place, threw the cover over it, closed the closet door, and was convinced that his Christmas Day scandal was safe with him. That was until his parents came home and called for a lineup of the siblings. They somehow knew that someone had been tinkering with the toys, and they lined up for a confession. The first two children simply said with a calm voice, we didn't know that there were toys hidden in the house, and we did not do it. But the third and guilty child decided to overly be convincing of his innocence, and he blurted out, I did not do it, and I'm offended at the thought that you thought I would do it. All children listening to me, I give you this free piece of advice. Because as it turns out, trying too hard to prove your innocence is a dead giveaway to parents of, in fact, one's guilt. The parents stared the eight-year-old boy down until he caved to the pressure and out blurted his confession. The opening of the remote control car on Christmas Day turned out to be an anticlimactic experience for this little boy, and he vowed to never do it again. How do I know of such a story? I was the little boy. <laughs> Not to downplay my mischievous behavior, but I'd like to suggest that this act of impulsiveness pales in comparison to the very first Christmas scandal. Let me tell you about it. There was this young couple that was engaged to be married. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the girl turns up pregnant. And her fiancé is not the father. When word gets out in the little town of Nazareth, where they're from, this is going to be big news. So what is a man to do when he discovers or finds out this news? Well, this man named Joseph was not the angry, haughty type, and he genuinely loved 
the girl, Mary, and didn't want her to be the object of small-town gossip mill, so he made a decision that he would simply call off the engagement quietly and move on with his life. This is how Joseph saw it best from his point of view. But God had a different point of view. Looking down upon the story, writing it from above, he did not see what just occurred as a scandal, but rather a solution. And not just any old solution to any old problem, but the solution to the problem. Let me ask you a question. What do you believe collectively is our number one problem? What do you believe it is? Do you think it's the economy? Do you think it is illness, disease? Maybe you think it is unemployment. That's a big one. Some of you right now are thinking it's the heartbreak from the boyfriend who just broke up with you. Or maybe you lost your iPhone. Well, that's a close second, I'm sure. But it is not the problem. The number one problem, the Bible makes very clear, can be summed up in one single word. And that word is sin. Sin is our number one problem. It is sin that drove me as an eight-year-old boy to investigate my private Christmas scandal. You say, Randy, that was rather harmless. And I agree with you, it certainly didn't start World War III. But you need to understand, I grew up in a lower-income family home. And my parents took hard-earned money for a moment, a moment when they would see their eight-year-old son open up a present on Christmas Day and be overwhelmed. I took that moment from them when I selfishly went into that closet. I took that moment from them, and that's what sin is. Sin is essentially selfishness. It is me getting what I want at your expense. And sin turns around and not only hurts the other people in my life and destroys relationships, but as it turns out, has destroyed and hurt my relationship with God. The Bible tells us, listen carefully, that it is sin that is the cause of all of our deaths. And if we find ourselves at death still in sin, the Bible tells us that we will also be forever separated from God. Folks, would you not agree with me that this is a big problem? Long ago, when Adam and Eve rejected the vision of God to do life together by eating of that forbidden fruit, and sin entered into their nature, causing them to disobey God, God determined that He was going to provide the way back into a relationship with Him. The baby in the womb of Mary is that way. See, Joseph's plan makes complete sense from the lower story, but it alters what God was writing in the upper story. So time for an angel to have a chat with Joseph. As was common in Bible times, Joseph fell asleep and the angel visited him in his dream. Imagine that this happened to you. The angel says to Joseph, Joseph, 
son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The angel tells him that in fact, the baby growing in the womb of Mary did not come from the seed of another man. Mary did not have a scandalous affair, as most will think, but rather the seed came from the Holy Spirit. And you say to yourself, why is that so important? And I believe we have lost the importance of this principle today. The concept of the virgin birth of Christ is a nice little sidelight to the story told at Christmas time, but in fact it is essential and it is important. Let me tell you why. Remember all the way back in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, after Adam and Eve had committed the sin, rejected the vision of God, they were escorted from the garden. The Bible tells us that they had some twins. Their names are Cain and what's the other one? Abel. You remember in the story that Cain ruthlessly took the life of his twin brother out of jealousy. What is that story teaching us? That story is teaching us that the sin nature born in Adam and Eve is transmitted to their offspring through the seed of the man. Show of hands. How many of you have a biological father who is a man, raise your hand. Well, I have news for you. You have received the virus. It is in you. So much so that when the plan was to start over to see if this growing sin amongst people could be solved by starting over with the, the most righteous man, does anybody remember his name? Noah? It didn't work. Why? Because Noah was conceived from the seed of a man. And even though he was righteous, which means he really tried hard to do what was right, he couldn't help himself, nor could his son. Not many days when they walked off of the boat, sin raised its ugly head. Why? Because the sin nature that is within us will eventually come out and demonstrate its selfishness and hurt relationships and destroy relationships. The one in the womb of Mary, hear me well, is not conceived by the seed of the man, but of the Holy Spirit. That means that the sin nature has not been transmitted to the child in her womb. From the lower story, it looked like the baby was conceived in a sin. But as it turns out, from the upper story, he has been conceived without sin. And this, my friends, is a big deal. The angel instructs Joseph that the child in the womb of Mary is a boy. The days of divine sonogram. And he told Joseph to name him Jesus. The name Jesus is the name Joshua in the Old Testament. And in Hebrew it literally means God saves. An appropriate name for this child because this would be his sole mission in life. To provide the way for us to be saved. From our sins. We don't know yet at this point in the story how Jesus will do this, but if we stay with the story, we later learn it will be the journey till Golgotha, 
to a place called the cross. But we do know the outcome because it's essential. And that is the removal of sin that keeps our relationship with God separate. Ever since the day Adam and Eve were escorted from the garden, God has been planning this day. And it finally arrived. God kept his promise. Now let me ask you, particularly you men, how would you feel about a dream like this when you woke up? If you were Joseph, he would say, I have got to stop eating all this matzah bread pizza late at night. Oh my gosh, weird dreams. But then he would discover that in fact this was a true dream from a real angel. And unlikely, and likely, Joseph would have had a lot of questions swimming around in his head. Like, how does one go about being a parent to God? Very awkward, changing the diaper of God. Wouldn't you say? And how about when a scandal broke out in Mary and Joseph's house and they did the lineup like in my house and they said, we want to know who did it. Well, well, we know Jesus didn't do it, so which one of you did it? Very awkward. Or how about Joseph just trying to be a good dad to Jesus, saying, Jesus, would you like help with your science homework? And then going, oh, that's right, you created everything. You probably already know the answer. Very difficult situation, but we do know that he had made a decision. He made a decision of what he was going to do with Mary. He calls her up and says, I want a meeting. Mary had to be beside herself with anxiety. Historians tell her that Mary was no more than 14, 15, maybe 16 years old. And she had every right to believe that Joseph would be angry with her. I mean, who's going to believe that story? You ought to try it this week. It ain't going to work real well for you. I'm pregnant with the seed of the Holy Spirit. They get together, and Joseph tells Mary about this upper story encounter with an angel. He tells her he knows how it happened and what's going to happen, and he even told her no need to pull out the name of baby's book. The angel told him to name our son Jesus. And then he grabs Mary by the hand, looks her square in the eye, and says, Mary, if you're willing to still have me, I'd love to be your husband, and we'll get through this together. We know how the story turns out, don't we? They got married, and the baby grows in the womb of Mary until it finally came out on Christmas Day. And when Jesus arrived into the world, it changed everything, didn't it? We still gather today because of it. Later in the story, we are told over and over again that when we accept Jesus as our Savior, the forgiver of our sins, when we transfer our sin and guilt to Him when He hung on the cross, that He comes into us. He comes into us, much in the same way He came into Mary. Not in our womb, but in our lives. Not as a fetus, but as a force. The Bible later will tell us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. That the day in which we face death, if we have Christ in us, we have the hope that we will not die forever, but we will conquer death and we will live with God forever and ever. And all the church has to say, 
amen to that. That's called the good news. Now, if you're a believer listening to these words, one who has embraced the removal of your sins through Christ, listen up for a word of application this Christmas season. Just as in Mary's case, as Jesus grew in her, he had to eventually come out. The same should be true of you as a believer in Jesus. As Christ's life grows in us, he will eventually have to come out for all the people to see. Out of our eyes, through our listening ear, out of the way in which we speak, from our heart, our hands, and where our feet take us. Because as a believer, with Jesus in us, we want all people to know. We want all people to see Jesus. That his birth is not the result of a scandal, but his birth is a result, is a solution to our scandal, to our sin. But follow my logic. In order for him to come out, he must first be invited to come in. And for those of you listening to these words, I believe you have a sense of who you are. You might have fooled the people around you. You come to a Christmas outing like this, and it's a part of the American tradition. You've cloaked yourself in red and holly. But you may have bypassed year after year the point of this celebration. It is for real. And that is an invitation for Christ to be born in you. Jesus tells us that he is standing at your heart's door right now, knocking. And he will not force his way in. And as you hear him knocking now, it is only you that can open the door of your heart and invite him in. Your grandmother can't do that for you. She would love to. She's been praying for you. Your mama can't do that for you. Your daddy can't do that for you. Your preacher can't do that for me. Believe me, I would if I could. Only you can open up the door, invite him to be born in you. I hope your response is not like that of the innkeeper. I have no room for you. But it is like that of Mary, who simply said that she was willing to make her heart his Bethlehem. So I ask you the question today, all hearing these words, will you let Jesus be born in you? I'm going to offer up a simple prayer. And I'm going to invite all of you who can say this prayer out loud with me from a simple heart of faith to repeat it after me. For some of you, this will be a prayer of affirmation. You've already said this prayer before. You don't really need to say it again, but oh, how sweet it is to remind us what gives us hope on Christmas Day. But for others of you, this will be a prayer of inauguration. This will be the first time you say this prayer, and it is at this moment the reality of Jesus being born in you will take place. So if you can say this prayer from a simple heart of faith out loud with me, please repeat after me. Let's pray. Dear God, I admit before you that my life is filled with scandals. I confess my sin to you. What I have done has broken your heart. 
and has turned and, and has hurt the people in my life. Your birth was not the result of a scandal, but a solution to my scandal. Dear Jesus, my Lord and Savior, be born in me. Come into my life. Make your heart your Bethlehem. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who have said that prayer before, isn't it sweet to affirm why we gather together? For those of you who said it for the very first time, the Bible teaches us through that simple act of faith, Jesus is born in you. Let me invite you and say welcome to the family.